Dose of Leadership Podcast, Episode 34. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. This is Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in. Been on a little hiatus there. I was in training there for a week or so with uh, with my company. Had to go to recurrent training, so I was away from my studio, but we're back, and I think you're really going to look forward to the interviews we have coming up in April. A lot of great shows and a lot of great guests coming up. This show is brought to you by Audible.com. Um, they are a great resource and a great solution if you're, like me, having trouble catching up on all your reading. I love their slogan of making your smartphone smarter. You can certainly do that. You can download hundreds of thousands of titles and get caught up on your reading. Download an audiobook and you can catch up on all your reading when you're driving, you're exercising, whatever you need to do. It's a great way to get caught up. Special offer for you guys out there. You can go to my website, doseofleadership.com slash audible, and you can download your free audiobook. You can check them out for 30 days. No obligation to you. Find out, look through all their hundreds of thousands of titles. I guarantee you're going to find a book that you're going to want to listen to. Again, doseofleadership.com slash audible. Well, I think you're really going to enjoy my next guest. It's Jeff Power. He is the CEO of Pangeo Coffee. He's down there in some of the poorest regions regions of the earth, making things happen, using some, spreading some common sense leadership, and making the world a better place. So enjoy the interview with Jeff Power. Well, I'm so thrilled to have on my show Jeff Power. He's the founder and CEO of Pangeo Coffee. I'm interested in him. I interviewed uh, Kat Cole the president of Cinnabon, and she put me in touch with Jeff, and I'm so thrilled. Jeff is actually in Ethiopia right now, and so I'll be interested to hear how he is doing over there. But again, Pangeo Coffee has an interesting story I'd like to hear about from him. He's passionate about leadership. He's passionate about coaching, and he's a, a great human humanitarian, and he's on the front lines putting leadership in action. Jeff, how are you today, and how is Ethiopia at the moment? <laughs> Hi, Richard. It's great to be here. Um, it's, uh, it's the rainy season over here in East Ethiopia by the Somali border. Uh, so it's a little bit wet and a little bit hot, but lots of sunshine. Well, tell me about, again, it's, it's awesome that we can actually, we're actually talking. It's, uh, 5 p.m. in the time, your time, 9 o'clock where I am right now, and it's just amazing through this technology. Hopefully it sounds good on the recording. My, we think we got it all tweaked out, but if the internet connection drops out, I'm sure the listeners will, will be forgiving on that. So, Tell us a little bit about Pangeo Coffee, how you got started with that, what its purpose is, and how it's doing. Yeah, uh, thanks. Um, I, I've been in humanitarian aid for a number of years with an organization out of Geneva, Switzerland. And uh, we help very, very poor villages in Africa and the Middle East and Asia. And I've been doing that for a number of years. And uh, one of the places we come is here in East Ethiopia. And before one of my trips over here a couple of years ago, a friend of mine said, hey, some of the best coffee in the world is grown right outside you know, near the villages you work in there. Why don't you uh, see if you can pre-sell some online to a bunch of your friends, family, whatever, and uh, the money can go to help the villages that you're working with. We don't specifically necessarily work with coffee villages. The villages we work with are usually much worse off than a coffee village. Um so I put out one email and uh, sold about, uh, gosh, 100 kilos of 
coffee with one email. And uh, wow! So went on the trip and I had some volunteers with. In fact, the guy who recommended that idea is a business. He's a friend who's in business. Uh, he actually came on the trip too as one of the volunteers. We spent the week helping the villages. Then we drove up the hill uh, 40 kilometers to Harar. Harar is uh, one of the most ancient cities in the world. It's as old as Jerusalem. It's the third holiest city for Islam. And on the hillsides around Harar is where world-famous Harar coffee is grown. So I ended up buying a ton of Harar coffee in bags. And uh, then it suddenly dawned on me, oh, my gosh, i got to get this back. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, so we, uh, we went to the local market and bought a bunch of large duffels and split it between three of us who were on the trip or four of us. And, uh, so came back through the airport and I figured, Hey, we've only got a duffel. It's probably no problem. We all checked in fine uh, at the counter, but while we were in the departure lounge, uh, waiting for our airplane, I heard over the intercom. Jeff Power, Mr. Jeff Power, please see the policeman at the podium. Oh, no. <laughs> so so uh, I went over to the podium, and he walked me down several levels and through all kinds of locked, closed doors into the bowels of the airport where all the um, luggage gets whisked around on conveyors. And I right. went, over to this, went over to this area that was a screening area, and there's a woman behind the the computer thing and one of my bags sure enough has been pulled aside. Apparently all the other bags went through, but they happened to see something they didn't like in this one bag. So, uh, she, uh, she looks at me with a scowl and, uh, I, fortunately I know it just a tiny, tiny bit of the Ethiopian language. I'm Harik. So, uh, I greeted her in the feminine evening singular, which shows I knew something and my accents, you know, <laughs> fairly decent. It's, her scowl turned into a little bit of a grin and a smirk. So I thought, okay, maybe I won't get killed. <laughs> so she, uh, she said, what's in the bag? And I just told the truth. I said, coffee. And I said, lots of coffee. And uh, I said, it's for the people who are buying it because they want to help villages that we work with in our humanitarian organization. So uh, I played the humanitarian card, but it was true. And so she said, open it. So I opened the bag, opened my duffel, and there was like one or two pairs of jeans on top and 40 bags of coffee <laughs> underneath it. And then uh, she kind of gave me a fake scowl again and then waved me away with her hand and said, go on. So the policeman walked me back upstairs. and He said, she must like you. And I said, I said, why? And he said, because you're only allowed to take two bags of coffee out of the country. Oh, my. Uh, so had, I, in my duffel, I had about 40 in my duffel. Wow. So I had no idea and I wouldn't, I wasn't attempting to break the law. Um, anyway, but that started it. We came back and we came through us customs fine cause we were under the price limit. And, and, uh, then, uh, November of a year and a half ago, uh, we launched Pangeo coffee and, uh, gosh, it's just cause, uh, the, we have probably about half of all of our proceeds go just directly back to helping villages we were picked up by the Huffington Post, and they did an article on us. Two major restaurant industry conferences asked us to be the, uh, the sponsoring coffee at the conference for leaders of brands like uh, Pizza Hut and Applebee's and Fridays. Kat Cole is part of that. She's the president of Cinnabon and a bunch of other people. So that's how I met that whole restaurant crew, and a bunch of them came with me 
last July, um, vice president of Hard Rock and or former VP of Hard Rock and so on and so forth. So they came with me over here to East Ethiopia. Anyway, sorry, I talked too long, but that's no, kind of our that's, that's a great, kind of our long story about how we got started. Well, that's a great that's that's awesome. I, I was just sitting there thinking, it's like the, the coffee obviously it was in clear bags. It must have looked like drugs or something. I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, or they probably you know they. They have drug smugglers who hide drugs inside oh, yeah, yeah. Bags, bags of coffee, hoping the dogs will smell the coffee and can't smell the drugs. And but I think she looked at me and I probably looked innocent enough. Well, it's always I, I, I love that story because it's it's obviously you've been involved in humanitarian effort for a long time, and it's just funny how you kind of fell into the coffee piece, and the coffee piece is actually helping support the humanitarian side, which is your passion and your love. How long have you been in the humanitarian game? What what got you started in that? Take me back even further. How how did Jeff Power come to be and get so involved in humanitarian relief? Um, well, that's a good question. You know, I, I I think for most of us, most of our lives are unfolding chapters that we don't know ahead of time. But things happen, and you try to read the chapters carefully, and each chapter leads you to the next one. If you're hmm. if you're uh, thinking if you're thinking smart. Um, and I don't know about you, but my life hadn't turned out at all like I planned it when I was 18. But I'm I'm really glad. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to be living the I don't want to be living the plans of an 18 year old. I want to get smarter every year. Yeah, I hear you. And each year, I want to live the plans the guy the previous year made because he was smarter than the year before. I hope so. Good idea. Uh, I uh, gosh, I've just my whole life been focused on uh, leading people, helping people, developing people. Um, I was involved in college uh, work for a lot of years, and then I was a pastor in the Denver area for a lot of years. Uh, our church in the Denver area helped a lot with poverty in inner-city Denver. We helped across the border in Mexico uh, with poverty down there a bunch. We just love to do hands-on things to lift people up and, and help them get ahead in life. And um, Go ahead. I was just going to say, was it a calling for ministry when you were young? Is that is that how you got involved in this? You know, I, I don't even, I'm not very good at things like callings and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I, I think they're, I think they're people who are far wiser and more sensitive than me about those sorts of things. I just, there was something that happened to me during college where I felt like doors opened up for me and ideas opened up and I, and the people were reading the Bible to me and other things and helping me just think bigger thoughts about life instead of thinking little tiny thoughts thinking things like purpose and value mm. and vision and hope and dreams and, and, you know, just the things that really matter in life instead of the puny stuff we t- that I tend to get absorbed in, unfortunately, too much. So that, that really affected my life and made me believe that there's a reason we all exist and a God who loves all of us and cares for all of us and that sort of thing. And that ended up leading to, to, to being a, a pastor and I got to, do things that way and then work on the poverty side and do things that way. Uh, then uh, my wife and I have always thought, you know, we really, as we got older and our kids were getting closer to graduating from college, we thought uh, we want to do something about the absolute worst poverty in the world, which we had never seen, by the way. I mean, I, I, I'm a typical white suburban American kid. You know, I just have been in white suburban America all my life. So this idea of Helping the world's poorest eight to twelve thousand miles away was just an idea that we felt in our hearts and wanted to think about. So, um, a friend of a friend uh, introduced me by email to the president of actually this organization, who lives and works out of Geneva, Switzerland. 
because this is an international organization based there. So um, I said I was interested in just hearing more about what he's doing, and our church was interested in thinking how in the world would we help really poor people eight to 12,000 miles away other than just giving money, you know, because of course we'd give some money, but is there any way we could be more hands-on? Because that's kind of the way we were as a church and the way my wife and I like to be as people. So he said, well, why don't you come with me? I'm going to be heading to Kenya and Ethiopia in uh, three or four months. I'd love for you to come along and just go out to some villages and kind of see what we do. So I was uh, dumb enough in a moment of weakness to say yes. Mm. Uh, And I went with him January of 2007. And it's just one of those things where, I mean, I'll I'll just tear up even as I'm telling you the story. I was in out in the villages for several days, just meeting in little huts with elders of villages, translators, listening to their struggles, but also listening to their wishes and their hopes. And it just, something about it just grabbed me in a really powerful way. We were back in Nairobi after uh, being up in northern Kenya for four or five days. We were back in Nairobi eating dinner before we went to the airport, and and, uh, I borrowed his uh, international cell phone. And, uh, and I called home, and Mary answered. She said, how's it been? And the moment she asked, I'm sorry, the moment she asked me that, I just started crying on the hmm. phone. Um, I'm sure 90% of it was from jet lag and exhaustion, but maybe the other 10% of it was some sort of inspiration and whatever. And to make a long story short, within uh, seven, eight months, I uh, finished up that role as a pastor, to join this outfit. I just thought, this is, this is what I'm supposed to be doing next. Right. Um, the white boy from the suburbs who hadn't traveled much, I jumped into this. So that was five and a half years ago now. And uh, I've been, I put 130,000 air miles on last year in villages in Africa, villages in the Middle East, villages in Asia, and all kinds of languages, all kinds of cultures. But the one thing, the one thing I've absolutely come to believe is that when you learn how to love people, it doesn't matter whether you're loving people in your own town right where you are or loving people in another village. People are people. And when you learn to love people, that translates across every language, every culture, every religion, everything. Yeah, that's so love true. Is, love is very powerful. And that's, the, and that's the core of everything that, that we do. It's a core to every aspect of life. It's, it's a core to leadership, too. You know, I think that's yes. great. It's it's great, you know. I, and I haven't even. I've always thought about. Well, I'll even go back. You know, when I first traveled the world in the the Marine Corps, and I saw abject poverty in Kenya, when we did some famine relief, it does shake you to the core because you don't realize. It does put things into perspective. It doesn't realize how trivial a lot of the things that we deal with here are, and um, it would I think it would do everybody so much good if they traveled the world and they saw how other people lived. But you're down there in the thick of it. I mean. Of course, it's going to change you. It's got to, it, you know, and I'm so happy to hear and it's, and I appreciate you sharing that story about how it touched you and it moved you to, to change your calling in life. But, uh, it's true. I mean, the people live in some, we don't even really know what poverty is, to be quite honest, even in our, our worst areas here in the States. We just, we just can't even fathom, right? Well, yeah. In fact, you know, we do some fundraisers across the country. Uh, where people get together and do things in their community. And it's kind of interesting, back where I live in the Boulder, Colorado area, we had a group of homeless guys do a fundraiser for one of our villages in Ethiopia. Mm. And what, what they said to people around them is, 
you know, we work in five areas with a village, water, food, health, wellness, income, and education. And these are villages that typically have almost none of all five of those. And the homeless guys said to everybody in Boulder, hey, we're homeless, but we have clean water anytime we want it. There's all kinds of water fountains and bathrooms. Uh, we can get food at the local shelters. Uh, we can get free health care if we need it. Um, income, if we want it, we can figure out how to work here and there or whatever. In education, we can take some classes. They said, we're going we're gonna to raise money for people who don't have even what we have. So that, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. You know, I always thought that um, nonprofits, humanitarian relief, um, the challenges that you have to deal with on a leadership level are so much more – I wouldn't know if they're extreme, but maybe they are. But there, there's, there's so different challenges compared to the the corporate world. You know, you've been immersed in nonprofits and charitable work and volunteer work. How, what is your take on that? How much more challenging is the leadership challenge, in your opinion? Um, well, you know, honestly, I'd just say it's the same because I think leadership anywhere is leadership. Um, I think. You actually have to be a better leader to be in situations where people aren't in it for the money. I agree. Because, because now the only reason they're in it is for something going on in their mind and their heart. Um, they're not relying on it for a paycheck, so they can quit any time. Right. So, so I think it just draws the best out of you as a leader because ultimately leadership is about taking people someplace – uh, if you're a good leader, you're taking people someplace good. If you're a bad leader, you're taking them someplace bad. But it's still leadership, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. taking people someplace. And, um, I mean, that's exactly what we do with the villages is we have to go into a place where their assets are very few. But they have assets. No matter where you set foot on the earth, people have assets. The main assets they have are already resident within them personally and already resident within their community. And the best leaders help people dream and help people lift their eyes and look and help people imagine and help people address problems and solve them together. Uh, you know, it's tempting in this kind of work. Uh, our organization refuses to be the organization that hands things out to villages mm. by the thousands of dollars. Because we all know as parents, you would really hurt your children's development if you constantly handed them things all their life. Now, you do hand them some things when they're very tiny, of course. They have, they have no abilities. But right. with every succeeding year in their life, you hand them less, but you've developed them more. And so I think what we do, at least for me, what we do tests my leadership and forces me back constantly to leadership fundamentals. I can't rely on a fat checkbook to solve a problem here. So I have to say, Okay, working with our local staff who are a different language than me and a different different culture than me and all that, and then they're working with a village, I have to cross cultural divides all the time and still lead people's minds and lead people's hearts and lead them together as a team and together as a community to accomplish great things. And I love that test. How do you do that? It just seems to me like an overwhelming task. It seems, you know, with the cultural differences – um, there's got to be a certain level of corruption with some of the, the, the higher ups in the governments that you're dealing with. Um, again, the, the, the lack of resources, the lack of money. How do you even begin to tackle that? Um, well, it, it, I think it first comes with a mentality. Um, 
I have to always check myself and say, do I believe these people have inherent wealth, inherent intelligence, inherent worth, and inherent skills? Um, the temptation when you walk into a culture that's different than yours, a language different than yours, a religion different than yours, all of us, our, temp our temptation is to look down, right? Mm -hmm. And so to assume, well, they don't speak my language very well, they must be dumb. They're not educated. They, they must not have any idea what to do. They're poor, so they can't be very intelligent. You know, all, all the assumptions we make that, of course, now you can't lead. All you can do is be Santa Claus and give people stuff if that's what you really believe. Great point. Um, I, I don't believe that, though. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't believe it when I was a pastor of a little church in the Colorado area. I don't believe it in these villages. I believe they're smart. They're uneducated, but... You and I know that education is a wonderful thing, but it's only a method yep. of applying innate intelligence. And so all I want to do, we want to help the villages apply what we believe is their innate intelligence and help them first tackle a small problem until they see a, a small win, then tackle another problem and they see a slightly bigger win, and then tackle another problem. I'm thinking of one village we worked in. There, uh, there were no businesses at all. The, none of the women worked. The men, at best, had menial labor jobs, earning less than a dollar a day. And we formed several women's groups. Well, we helped them get over the barrier first that women weren't allowed to do anything. And we said, well, why not? Like, you should. You can contribute to the family income. So we helped them believe different about themselves. And then, then we said, okay, now let's think, what are some things you can do to generate income? Well, of course, their initial answer was nothing. Well, we didn't give them an answer. We said, we don't believe that. Look around you. What are needs in your village or nearby that you might be able to fulfill somehow? Well, it took plotting and pleading and cajoling and nudging. But after a while, um, outside this village, about two kilometers, was a stream. And the men who herded camels for wealthy camel owners, like a wealthy owner might have 100 camels and a guy would herd the camels for him or cattle or sheep, during the day, all these people throughout the whole day would bring their animals to this stream, and the animals would take half an hour to an hour to drink water, and the herders would just sit on the ground. Well, one group of seven women came up with the idea, hey, those guys have nothing to do. Why don't we go over there and take some sticks and some straw and build a couple little huts, and inside the huts make some little fires and uh, bake up some flat, uh, like sort of like pancakes. The, the, in Kenya, they're called chapate. And then uh, boil some different leaves that we know make good-tasting tea, and we'll sell these guys tea and chapate. Within one month, each of those seven women was earning between 10 and 20 U.S. dollars a day. Wow. Now, we didn't put a dime into that enterprise. All we did was help the women believe what we already knew to be true about them, that they were intelligent and they were capable and they had options. I don't know about you, but there's times in my life where I forget I'm intelligent. I think I'm stupid. I think my problems are too big. I get really discouraged and down in the dumps. And I need someone to help me believe what's true instead mm -hmm. of believing lies. Yeah. And I need leaders around me who lift my mind, lift my heart to help me believe something different. So that's all we did. Well, that village has gone on. We've we've worked with that village for five years. Now there were 30 or 40 businesses in that village. 
They had no clean water before. Now they have a clean water system that they came up with and they have maintained now, and they've had clean water for all of their families and all their children for five years. They had no school. Now they have a principal, a vice principal, nine classrooms, K through eight, and nine teachers, and they just won an award for that region of Kenya for a primary school. Um, they had a very high adult sickness rate and a high infant mortality rate. They've dropped their adult sickness rate by about 80%. They've almost eliminated infant mortality. There have been no new cases of HIV AIDS now for a year, all because of knowledge, things we taught them, things we helped them learn and understand. So all of those changes happened in five years with very, very little money from us, but lots of time and lots of belief and lots of lifting their minds and lifting their hearts to accomplish what they really wanted all along but were afraid they couldn't achieve, and now they achieved it. That's outstanding, Jeff. I mean, I got goosebumps you telling me that story. I mean, that's just amazing. You know, and, and a lot of us here, we don't know that. We don't, you know, you see these things and everything. You just, you're right, and you give money to these organizations and these charity. You don't know if it's going to get there, the percentage of them that actually gets there. But you hit it on the on the head, and it really goes back to even just the fundamentals of leadership. It's really how, you know, even if you look at the smallest leadership levels in an organization here back in the States, it's all about the theory X and theory Y mentality. You know, you've got the managers who are the theory X that think human beings are lazy and meant to be, you know, you need told what to do. But you're going at it with obviously the theory Y, which I think most of us and most modern leaders subscribe to, is that, you know, it's all about purpose, value, vision, and, and a belief in people that, and you're right. And sometimes even like you and I and ourselves, we may be self-confident. We may be believing ourselves as leaders, but every now and then we get down to the dumps and someone needs to tell us, Hey, this is what you're capable of doing. And that's just so awesome. Oh, I, def I definitely need it. You know, I think that's just, that's, that's our nature as humans. We've got a brilliant side and we've got a stupid side. Yeah. All of us have both. And, and I'll tell you what, I vacillate between the two a lot more frequently than I wish. And I love the leaders in my life who point me toward what's really true. Me too. That's great, Jeff. I mean, so what's next? I mean, what? how, how else? I mean, what other success stories or whatever challenges are, are you faced with now? Well, you know, I think what we're trying to do in our organization is uh, we're trying to help our leaders within each of these countries. We hire people from the tribes we work with. So, I mean, it doesn't make sense for me as a white guy from Denver to, to try to effectively lead these villages. Right. So all of us who do what I do uh, in our organization, we work with our leaders on the ground. And so we're helping them believe. We're helping, to use your terminology, theory why, you know, like I have to constantly remind them because they're from these poor backgrounds. They all came out of the villages. Now everybody we've hired somehow got out of the village years ago and got a college education. And the, the basic nature of the university tends to raise those good things out of people, tends to. But still, um, the main way we equip them is not simply with the best 20 tools and methods for helping a poor village. It's equipping their own minds and equipping their own hearts to believe in the power of really good leadership. That's awesome. How can people get more involved? How can they learn more? How can they help you? Where can they go? Um, well, uh, I think a couple things. We sell our coffee online. So it's pangeocoffee.com, P-A-N-G-E-O, coffee. Pangeo means, pan means all, geo, the world, 
Pangeo. Um, you can go online and get coffee we have from the areas where we were, a couple areas in Ethiopia, Kenyan coffee, uh, Indonesian coffee. I was just in Indonesia back in the mid-November. Um, that's one way. Just buy it online, subscribe to it, whatever. Um, we are. Uh, our hope is to begin to get into America's restaurants. So when you, we, our little vision someday is that when you would walk into a restaurant, uh, maybe a chain restaurant or just a single local restaurant, and you go over to where they're serving coffee and iced tea. We also, uh, on the commercial level, sell iced tea because uh, I work in the, the top tea areas of the world. I was just in Sri Lanka last fall. In Sri Lanka is the third highest tea producing nation in the world. Kenya is number one. China is number two. I was just in Tibet in our villages there last uh, early last July. So uh, if you have restaurants near you, uh, talk to them because our dream is when you walk in and you order coffee in a participating restaurant that sells our coffee, you will see where the coffee is dispensed and the iced tea is dispensed, a display, maybe even a video display of the villages, the very specific villages that that restaurant's coffee and tea proceeds go directly back to helping get out of poverty. And then uh, on that display, there'd be a QR code and you could just point your phone at it and it would bring up, uh, we, we create a, a simple little website for each village. We update each village's little website with regular posts and stories. And you could get that on your phone and you could subscribe to that if you wanted and say, wow, when I go over to my favorite restaurant here in town and get coffee on my way to work, uh, a couple cents out of every cup I get goes right back into these villages and I'm uh, finding out about how they're doing and how they're growing. Awesome. So talk Talk to restaurants around you and buy it yourself, I think, is just the two main ways and spread the word. That's great. Well, Jeff, and then, uh, the, go ahead. The, the, humanitarian, the humanitarian organization that is my full-time job that I work with is called Global Hope Network. And you can actually adopt a village on there. It's ghni.org, Global Hope Network International. And you can go right on the front page and adopt a village for $12 a month. And uh, you can follow a village that way as well. Great. I'll put links to all these on your post when I when I set it up, and uh, so there'll be easy links to both Pangeo Coffee and to Global Hope Network International. And um, gosh, it's cool that we finally got this together. And we've been planning this for a few weeks, and uh, it's cool that you're in Ethiopia and I'm here in Kansas, and uh, we had this conversation today. I appreciate what you're oh, doing, Jeff. You're, you're doing the real leadership stuff. You're out there on the front lines, and uh, it's humbling, and and I'm I'm honored and inspired by what you're doing. Well, it's great to talk to you. I'm glad we finally made the connection. And hello to all your listeners from East Ethiopia. All right, Jeff, we'll uh, do this again. I'm, I'm glad you're in my wheelhouse, in my network, and we'll stay in touch. Great. Have a great day. Thanks, Jeff. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.